0: And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday Morning Mosaic Worship Service, Garfield Memorial Church, Widening the Circle. If I haven't met you, my name's Terry McHugh, part of the pastoral team. As we worship, together in multiple locations, spread throughout not only Northeastern Ohio, but I know there are folks in other states and even other countries. So it's good to be together. We need to be together. When we got those yard signs, little did we know, as we were trying to have a tangible way to help people know that they're being prayed for and and give us away, we, we distributed 450 yard signs to members and friends of Garfield Memorial Church During the pandemic, it is a time of showing love and support and grace. But little did we know that now we're facing again, as has been talked about, the, the virus of racism continually popping up. And I think about when I put the sign in our yard and the act of, you know, you have those wire stakes and you have to stamp it down. And we have to stamp down. Wearing, and we're going to talk about the readiness that comes from being fitted with the shoes, the gospel of peace. We have to stamp down evil and injustice, and we have to do it together. And and so, very often, God uses tangible things to help us understand deep spiritual realities, and that's what we're looking at in this series on spiritual PPE. But before we delve into God's word, let's pause and and pray because you can't pray too much you can never pray too much so God we offer ourselves now as agents of peace help us to let it get so deep within us that it pours out of us help us to stamp down to to not only stand firm but to stand against those things that those sins our brokenness the evil powers thank you for providing us spiritual PPE spiritual armor because without it we're hopeless without it we're helpless but with it we can make a stand in your name in jesus name amen so in this series on spiritual ppe we've been talking about that most of us didn't even have that in our vocabulary before um, the pandemic but now we are used to talking about it and seeing it and um, so in this series, we've been talking about our spiritual PPE. Paul uses the, the language in Ephesians of the armor of God. And you know we're not trying to be militaristic about this. This is an image that God uses. And if you, if you look at the, the things, the breastplate of righteousness that Pastor Scott talked about, the belt of truth that Pastor Chip talked about a couple weeks ago those things are not typical weapons, right? Truth and righteousness, and peace, and so these are inward things that God wants us to put on, and I think about our kids are grown now, we had three sons, Joe and I, and when we used to go to the Cleveland Museum of Art, somehow we'd always end up in the court of armor, where there were all these suits of armor from ancient times, and our kids were so fascinated by them that as if the idea of having something, it's like an exoskeleton that you could put on to, to protect you, and I was just reminded, like, we know that we need protection, now more than ever. I walk a lot in our neighborhood with our German shepherd, and I was, I don't know whether I was amused or, I didn't even know what to feel, but I, there was a house, it's like an ordinary house, it's not a mansion, and they had these two soldiers outside, and the, um, outside their little gate. I think one of them had a shield that was made out of a fireplace grate. But it just shows that people know they need protection. They know that they don't have what it takes, and so we need to lean on God for the spiritual armor. It's not armor of our own making. We have to remember that. And there's something else. We have to put it on. It's great to know about it and study about it and hear about it and get all inspired, but we got to put it on and, and take it in. And allow God to use it as we go through it. I went this week to the message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. Never has this been more true. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. And so we're talking about the sandals, the shoes of peace. I don't even have to say we have never needed peace more. We need peace from from fear of the pandemic. We need peace from our division the sin of racism, the tumult and the chaos that comes, has come into our world. All our, so many cities have been affected, and God wants us to, to be in peace. And so we're talking about the, the shoes of the gospel of peace, and in verse 15, we heard it said, Stand, therefore, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Notice that we're not putting peace on our feet, right? It's the readiness from the gospel of peace. And this is from the Amplified Bible, which is a little wordier, but I think it helps expand it a little bit for us. And having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace in preparation to face the enemy with firm-footed stability and the readiness produced by the good news. That's, that's what God is inviting us to put on with the gas, gospel of peace. And you might think, well, it's kind of weird. Like, I never thought of shoes as part of armor. But shoes are important. And in, in a day when Paul's writing, when Jesus is, shoe, shoes were significant. You didn't always, you're often very barefoot. And Jesus, when he was getting ready to send out the 12 two-by-two two to go against the spiritual forces of evil, he told them, don't bring much with you, but put on your sandals. Yeah, yeah. Get them on your feet. Yeah, yeah. And so there's something about these, these, this footwear that's really important that Paul wants us to know that gives us the ability to be in spiritual PPE. And a couple things about this footwear, and it's based on the Roman soldiers, the, the kind of, footwear that they used. And there are some really important things about it. There are three things that were essential for the Roman soldiers' footwear. The first thing is that it had to have traction. They had to have a grip because when they're running, when they're on slippery surfaces, when they're on uneven ground, they had cleats basically, hobnails in them. And these shoes were were very well made. They had leather and metal and all kinds of of things to make them just what they needed. And so they had to have traction, and so they could grip in. Because if you had to fall, it wouldn't just be like, oh, I got a little boo-boo. You fall, you could die. And the second thing that they needed to have was, um, what did they need to have? They had to be tough. They had to protect the feet. And because very often, the, what the enemy would do, they would put spikes on the ground. They might be one or two inches tall. They could be made of metal or made of wood. And try to get you that way so they had to be tough so that when you go on those surfaces and you go over those spikes your feet are unharmed because you could be disabled you could be unable to to do your do your job and third, they had to be light they had to move fast they had to have the ability to to be able to run in them if they had these big heavy boots then they they would be stymied in making progress and they had to be light in order to, to move fast and to move together and so these qualities go into, as Paul talks about the readiness, there's a Greek word that he uses there, hetomoitia. And it's, it really means nimbleness. It's a word you would use about a dancer or an athlete or someone who had great grace. It's a spiritual athleticism that the gospel of peace helps us to have. But Paul also says it's important how you put this on. He, it says you in some translations that you're shod your feet are shod we don't use that word much Mm -hmm. but what he's saying here is if you look at the word that describes that that they have to be attached tightly on the bottom of your feet and they have to be very firmly attached they have to be on so close to you and they have to be very tight and so the same thing is true of our spiritual pp we have to have it close to us in order to have that stability and you might think well what difference does that make I think of John Wooden the great uh, basketball coach and I feel a little silly using this analogy because Pastor Chip is a basketball guy I am not a basketball guy I don't even know anything about sports but I do remember this hearing that when coach Wooden would get new players he didn't teach them strategy he didn't teach them plays he taught them how to put their shoes on And he said, you know, you have to make sure your socks are on right. There's no wrinkles. You have to make sure the tongue of the shoe is straight. You don't want to get blisters. You want to make sure you you lace the shoes up tight from the bottom so that you don't have ankle injuries. And so how we put it on is important. We have to put it on the right way. And we have to have this hetomycea, this flexibility that gives us the ability to be nimble. And so Paul is saying that this nimbleness comes from the gospel of peace. Well, is there more than one gospel? No, there's only one gospel. But if we take that gospel, and if we suck everything out of it, if we allow it to enter into us completely, then peace is what flows out. You may remember, if you've been around here at Garfield, one way we talk about the gospel, and with a nod to Pastor Tim Keller, is that the gospel can be expressed this way. It means that you are more wicked and flawed and broken than you ever dared believe about ourselves. But at the very same time, you are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared imagine. And so those two things held together, we're broken and sinful and we're beloved. And we need both of them. And I want to use that as a way of looking at how these, these, these shoes, these sandals, what that looks like. And we're going to talk about peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with others. And peace with God is the foundation of this. Now, when you think of peace with God, you might think of sort of butterflies and rainbows and peace signs and, you know, Woodstock. But this is a different kind of peace. This is an objective peace, not a subjective peace. You may have found yourself drawn to coming to to worship online or maybe some of our thing, things that Garfield is offering during the week because you feel like you need peace in your life. And, and that's true. We do need peace in our lives. But, but that's a more subjective peace. You may have a relationship or financial issues or things that you want peace from. But until we get this peace with God, we can't have peace from God. So peace with God is what Christ gives us when he goes to the cross for us. We recognize that we're sinful and broken and receive them. You know, you can't be saved if you don't know that you need to be saved. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's, it can be funny in these days to talk about that, the way people struggle with self esteem and you don't want to talk about negativity and, and it's hard enough to feel good about yourself without saying you're sinful. I remember at the church I was at before I en- ended up coming into ministry. There was a woman at the church, she had been through a lot of abusive experiences. And I remember that there's the great hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound It saved a wretch like me. And so if we were singing that in worship, she could sing Amazing Grace. She could sing how great the sound. But she would not sing a wretch like me. She was like, I'm not a wretch. But that's not true. Until we come face-to-face with the fact that we're broken and sinful, we can never receive peace with God that God longs to give to us. And not only do we have this sinfulness and brokenness, the Bible even says that we are enemies with God. In Romans um, 5, it says while we were still enemies of God, God saved us. And that through the cross, we receive peace with God the cross of Jesus Christ and you may say well I'm not an enemy of God really (laughs) it's that enmity that we have towards God can be so subtle and hidden in our hearts that we're not even aware of it I've talked about losing my mom at a young age and being mad at God for many many years and I felt like I finally got over it but what I've come to realize in the time since then is that that enmity tries to pop up. That sinfulness continually pops up. And I need to continually turn to God and confess that to Him and repent and be aware that what's in my heart can be darker than I ever want to admit. There are subtle thoughts that come into me. There are ideas that I may have. There may be judgments I have on other people. Until I recognize that enmity, I can't receive that peace with God that is so essential and that what we really need. And so we need to look within, we need to confess our sin and receive that peace with God, which is an objective peace, which makes way then for the, the other peace, the peace with ourselves and peace with others. But I want to say one more thing. When we talk about enmity with God and and brokenness with God, I want to say that any emotion that we have, any feeling that we have, it's okay to express to God. That's not being an enemy of God. And we had some holy moments in faith on Fridays this past week where we had a time, instead of what we usually might have talked about, to give people a chance to lament and to be able to pray about the pain at the face of yet another Murder of an unarmed African-American man, George Floyd. And, and a chance to say those words. And God knows anyway, right? God knows what we're feeling. There's nothing hidden from him. I remember early on when I was going back to church, again, before ministry, our pastor preached a, a sermon on Psalm 139. We refer to that a lot in ministry by strengths, that you're uniquely and wonderfully made. But it also talks about where can I go from your spirit you know you know when I sit down when I stand up when I say a word when I think a thought you know and I was so mad I I chased after that poor pastor and I said this is ridiculous why would God want to know all those things about me does it have something better to do like solve world hunger this is this is actually a true story I was so affronted and and I sort of laugh now because now we have Alexa and Siri they hear everything but I didn't want God to know the real me. All right. I can say that now. At that time, I would have said, I'm a good person. I haven't killed anybody. But I came to realize that, yes, I had. Because if I had an angry, judgmental thought about someone, I've killed them. And if I put someone down and behaved in a violent way, even in my thoughts and in my heart, I was as guilty of murder as as anyone and so god knows and we need to repent and receive christ and but the second thing we need to have is peace with ourselves have you ever heard the expression you're your own worst enemy and we are aren't we we've been we just did a two-part series a reprise of i said this you heard that with kathleen edelman And this is a way of looking at how our temperaments, how God wires us, colors, how we speak, and how we listen, and what our needs are. And one of the things that Kathleen says is, you know, it's based on Ephesians 4.29 that we need to speak words of love, of positiveness, and not to put one another down with words. And she says, who do we talk to the most? Ourselves. And so we need to... Listen to those stories and recognize when they're lies. The stories that we tell ourselves about our failures, our inadequacies. We need to replace that. Because remember, the second part of that phrasing of the gospel is that you're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. And we have to receive that and allow that to penetrate in us, even as we recognize we're broken. Henry Nouwen wrote a lot about what it means to be the beloved And I love where he says, the first thing you need to do is keep unmasking the world around you, which is going to tell you lies. It's manipulative, controlling, and power-hungry. And in the long run, destructive. You have to remind yourself about the lies that the world tells you, and remember that every time you feel hurt or offended or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, as strong as they may be, are not telling the truth about myself the truth even though I can't feel it right now remember you don't have to feel something for it to be true even if I can't feel it right now that I'm the chosen child of god beloved and in another faith on friday a couple weeks ago we were talking and i don't remember how it came up but pastor chip reminded us of when jesus is baptized in the jordan and he rises up out of the water in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says, the voice of God comes down and says, you are my beloved child in who I am well pleased. And that is what God is saying to you. Yeah. Yeah. You are my beloved child. Yeah. And in you, I am well pleased. And we need to receive that love and acceptance. Because if we don't, we will never have peace with others. And we will not even have peace with God because we're going to blame other people and we're going to project what is wrong with us and what we hate about ourselves onto other people. I remember when I was a kid, my mom used to say that if, if something was annoying me about somebody else, it's probably something in, in me that I was externalizing. That made me so mad. But she was so right. And so we need to have peace that peace with ourselves in order to continue on and finally have um, peace with others. At the cross, everyone is equal. At the cross, no one is, is better, no one is worse. And the cross equalizes us and helps us recognize that it has torn down all barriers between people. We have a time of greatest brokenness and as we said, we need peace now more than ever. When we have peace with one another, then that can repair relationships, it can take down barriers between people. When we have the peace of God and then peace with ourselves, it extends out to others. I was thinking recently, after my mom died, my dad remarried, I was about 15, and have had a very fractious relationship with my stepmother. And, you know, some things justified, some things not. But during this pandemic, as I've been reaching out to her more, I suddenly realized, so many decades later, why am I still holding on to what happened when I was 15, what happened when I was 20? And, That peace of God melted my heart and made peace in that relationship. But it's not just about individual relationships. It's about a collective peace. It's about how God longs for us to be connected. Jesus is the prince of peace. And we're so divided. I can't remember a time that has been more divided than today. And I lived through the protests and the Turbulence of the 1960s as a teenager. But there's a spirit of division that is so deep. And I heard last week that Carnegie Mellon has done some research, and they say that like 50% of the misinformation on Twitter about COVID-19 is from bots. And they're designed to divide us and to, to get us to be in these fractious conversations, if you can call them that but we don't need bots to divide us. We do that just fine all by ourselves. And that indigenous sin of racism that has been in this country from its inception continues to rear its ugly head. And again, as we mourn the murder of George Floyd, we're reminded that there is a brokenness between us as humans and that God longs for that to go away was led to earlier in the book of Ephesians where Paul says in chapter 2, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. And notice, it is not my peace. It is our peace. It is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. And you think about in in wedding ceremonies, we say the two shall become one flesh. In Christ, we are all one flesh. One new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross— by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. I am so glad to be part of Garfield Memorial Church. We're part of the Mosaics movement, a movement committed to help the church look on earth as it is in heaven with people of every tongue, tribe and nation, Revelation 7:9), worshiping God together, praising God together. There's never been a more important time for this work. Mm -hmm. There's never been a more important time to live out our calling as people of peace. And we are called collectively to stand against the forces of evil in whatever forms they present themselves. A little later this afternoon, Pastor Chip and I and some other leaders, Dre and Leah, are going to be with a group of 19 Youth who are saying yes to God, yes to the church, becoming members, being confirmed. And one of the things that they will pledge is just that. To stand against the forces of evil in whatever form they present themselves. And so they are joining in that force, that collective that we are part of, that we are committed to. And by definition, the Christians are people of peace. The church is the outpost of peace. It's the institute of peace. And this isn't passive peace. This is peace that fights for justice. This is peace that goes out into the world. It's not about a feeling just in here. It's about a reality of the kingdom of God that must be lived out. And God has put us as his workforce, as his church, as the, the body of Christ to live that out. We talked about the qualities of the shoes that a Roman soldier needed to have. We we talked about there needs to be traction, that there needs to be toughness, that there needs to be lightness. And when we have the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace shot on our feet, that it's tied tightly to us, then we have the ability to have traction because we know where we stand we have peace with God. We know whose we are. And we have that toughness so that because we have peace within ourselves and peace with God, if someone says a little comment, if something doesn't go our way, we don't collapse. We have that, that strength, that toughness. And finally, we have that lightness because we do need to be nimble. We do need to not, not only be able to move fast and move far and move together, but do it with joy. The joy that only comes from God. And so God has given us, for such a time as this, peace with himself, peace within ourselves, and peace with others. The dividing wall has been taken down. We need to live into that reality. The barriers are gone. I was led this week, and before anything happened, before the murder of George Floyd, before the outbreaks of protest and rioting in our cities, to a a blog that was a description of a photograph in Taylor Branch's first volume of his chronicling of the civil rights movement, Parting the Waters. And he talks about a picture that shows one of those lunch counter scenes in the south where people are sitting at the counter in protest against segregation that people can't sit and have a meal together if they have different colored skin. And so in this picture, there's an African-American woman and on either side, there's a a white man and a white woman. And it shows that a a bottle of ketchup has just been poured on the white man's head by his waiter. And in the black and white picture, it looks like blood falling down. And then you can see that somebody else is pouring a sugar container on the African-American woman. And behind there's this this sense of evil glee. You can see on the people's faces the powers of evil at work. And people are egging one another on and there's a look of approval. And then you look over in the corner towards the back, almost to the edge, almost off the picture. And there's a young man there and his eyes are downcast. And he looks ashamed. And one would think that he came in with the same idea that he was going to attack and harass these protesters. But something happened. And this is how the author says it. It seems obvious that that man walked through the doors ready to attack or cheer on some violence. And if one of the protesters had carried anything but God's weapons, he might have joined in. But his weapons proved no match for the armor of God. His weapons proved no match for spiritual PPE. Indeed, the photo caught the precise moment when some part of him was killed. Not just slain in the spirit, but slain by the spirit. Splayed open by the power of love. Let's take hold of that for which God took hold of us. Let's take hold of peace with God. Let's take hold of peace with ourselves. Let's take hold most of all with peace with one another. That's the hope of the world. That's the work we have before us. So if you have a yard sign, maybe go dig it down again and stamp it in with resolution that We are the agents of peace in God's world. We can only do it with his power. So Pastor Lori, pray us out.